Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Lord is speaking to his church about unity, about loving one another, even across denominational lines. You know, people on the outside, they tend to look at the church and they think because there's so many denominations, Christianity is just a divided house. And in many ways, quite frankly, they're right, sadly. Uh, But it doesn't have to be. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, in a message titled, Unity of the Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We are continuing to study Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and we're picking up in the fourth chapter. And so as I have pointed out, we've come now to uh, the practical application portion of this letter written by Paul to the Ephesians. And we saw how he begins this this new section with the call to walk worthy, walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. I also pointed out that there are two areas that Paul is going to emphasize in this section on our walk. And those two areas are unity and holiness. Those, those are the things that he's going to deal with in this next portion of scripture. Unity and holiness. And these are the two fundamental features of a life worthy of the church's divine calling. And so it's in the first 16 verses that he deals with the subject of, of unity And then from that point, he goes into the subject of holiness. So over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. Today, we're going to focus on the first six verses, verses 1 through 6. But before we get to that, let me say a few things. Uh, Occasionally, I've been asked this question. And the question is, what do you think the Lord is is doing today or, you know, People have asked me, you know, if you, if you had to sort of pinpoint, you know, one area where you really feel like the Spirit is wanting to move or, or the Spirit is, is speaking um, this, this thing to the church, what, what would that be? What is, what is the Spirit saying to the church today? And I uh, generally have replied with, I believe that the Lord is speaking to his church about unity. And this is something that I've been sensing for quite a few years now as I, as I 
read the scriptures myself, as I study the word of God, as I travel, as I speak, as I connect with other churches and leaders, I, I just get this sense in these days that this is what the spirit is saying to the church, that we need to endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit. And I, I feel strongly about that. I, I feel passionate about that. The Lord is speaking to his church about unity, about loving one another, even across denominational lines. You know, people on the outside, they tend to look at the church and they think because there's so many denominations, Christianity is just a divided house. And in many ways, quite frankly, they're right, sadly. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. Because as you look at the broader spectrum of Christians all around the world and denominations and so forth, what most of the time people don't realize is that all of us essentially believe the same thing. We just have minor differences, but the sad thing is it's usually over the minor differences that we divide and become contentious with one another. So I believe that the Lord is, is wanting unity in his church He's speaking about loving one another across denominational lines and about working together as members of the universal body of Christ for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. So that's my conviction, and that's what I have shared with people on occasion. And I have sometimes spoken about this publicly. Uh, sometimes I've written on the subject. Now, not everyone is happy with me about this. Uh, as a matter of fact, this really irritates some people. And uh, I have been accused by some of selling out. I don't know what I've sold out to, but I've been accused of selling out. I've been accused of compromising. Uh, some people have uh, accused me of being emergent. And I know most of you don't even know what that means. And the people that accuse me of that obviously don't know what it means either because they never would accuse me of being emergent if they knew what it really meant because I am the farthest thing from emergent. Some have pejoratively labeled me as an ecumenical evangelical. An ecumenical evangelical. Now, I have to say that is a title that I gladly accept. All of us should be ecumenical evangelicals. What do those words mean? Well, ecumenical, according to Webster's Dictionary, it refers to being involved as Christians with different groups of Christians or different kinds of Christian churches. It refers to Christians who seek to relate to the whole body of Christ. I think we are supposed to be ecumenical. We are supposed to look beyond our own congregation. We're supposed to look beyond our own, if it's a denomination or a movement, we're supposed to look beyond that. We're supposed to recognize that the body of Christ is much larger than our own personal experience of it. Evangelical, what does that mean? Well, again, according to Webster's, an evangelical is someone who emphasizes salvation by faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ through personal conversion. An evangelical is someone who emphasizes the authority of scripture and the importance of preaching the gospel. So although uh, some who have used this term in reference to me have intended it to be a slight, I, as I said, I 
gladly accept the title. We should all seek unity among all true Christians. Therefore, we should be ecumenical. But we can never give up essential biblical truth for the sake of unity. Therefore, we must be evangelical. Now, again, let me just define this a bit further. An, an evangelical or evangelicals are, by definition, those who hold fast to essential orthodox Christian doctrine. That's what an evangelical is. It is a person who holds fast to essential orthodox Christian doctrine, like the doctrine of creation, for example, or the doctrine of the fall and the entrance of sin into the world, the doctrine of redemption, through Christ and all of the, the facets of that, the person of Christ, who he is, his deity, meaning his, the fact that he is the, the divine son of God, that he is God in the flesh, holding to the doctrine of his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection and ascension, and his second coming. That is what it is to be an evangelical. So holding firm to the, the essential biblical doctrines, but recognizing that there are non-essential beliefs that usually are the source of division among us. And, and we don't want to get tripped up by that. We want to be gracious. We want to go beyond those minor things and embrace our brothers and sisters across denominational lines who hold to the same essentials that we do, but might uh, differ from us in the non-essential things. And that's certainly what Paul is calling us to here. So here in verses one through six, the apostle tells us how to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called in unity with one another as God's people. So let me read the first six verses to you. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So Paul is pleading with his readers and with us as well that we would walk in unity. And he tells us to begin with that this is all a matter of the way we think. So it's a matter of the heart and the mind. And so he gives us five things that will promote the unity of the spirit. The first is that we are to walk in all lowliness. In all lowliness, this word is sometimes translated humility. So if we are going to be people who contribute to the unity of the church, we, we've got to be humble. That's where it starts. Lowliness of mind, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. 
the humble person or the person of a lowly mind is uh, the person who recognizes the worth and the value of other people. And humility is essential to unity. And the opposite of humility, you know, is pride. And when you look at division in the body of Christ, if you look at it on a local level, or if you look at it on the larger level, quite often, if not always, pride lurks behind that division. Most often it's true. The person causing division among God's people is being driven by their pride. It's the pride of being seen sometimes as right. We have the right view. We know better than everybody else. We have a a deeper and a clearer understanding. And everybody who disagrees with us is then somehow below us in some sense. And that attitude, of course, creates division. Or the pride of being seen uh, or perceived as a person who is more spiritual or more holy than others. And oftentimes that is the source of division. And then there is the pride of being looked up to and followed. And sometimes that's the case. Paul actually warned the elders at this very church in Ephesus that one day in the future, he said, men would rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And so often that's what's happening. There's pride there, and it's the pride that's causing the divisions within the church. And so we all have to walk in humility. Now, I believe that it's possible to have correct doctrine. I believe that it's possible to, you know, be pretty close at least to to what the scripture is really saying. But we have to be on our guard that we don't think ourselves better than everyone else because that's where, where we've come to. We have to recognize that, well, we see it this way, but not everybody sees it this way. So we have to be gracious toward people who don't see it exactly the way we do. And it's these, these little things so often that have been the source of strife and, and division within the church, which subsequently leads to the church being a, a terrible example of what Jesus wanted it to be, so far from what the Lord intended. So we have to get away from that that prideful mentality that would you know see ourselves superior to to others. Sometimes I listen to guys speak. Sometimes I hear it from pastors, and and they they speak in in such a way as to imply that you know our church is better than other churches. I I knew a guy years ago who used to say this, and I, I thought he was joking back then, but since time has passed. I don't know. Maybe he was serious, but he used to say, you know, I want to put a sign up in the front of our church saying, we're not claiming to be the best church in town, but we're not saying that we're not either. And, you know, just the the whole mentality, like the best church in town, what does that mean? That's like a kid in a family going, I'm going to be the most loved of the children being in competition constantly with their brothers and sisters and, and you know, vying for the, the affection of the parents. There's something wrong with that. 
That's not a healthy perspective. That's a, that's a, that's a demented mind that thinks that. We're the best church in town. We're better Christians than anybody. God loves us more than he loves every other Christian. No, we, we don't want to think that way. That's the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. Lowliness of mind. Not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. So he starts with humility. And then, because humility leads to unity, but then he goes on to gentleness. And the word can be translated meekness. And these two things go together, really, because humility is the, it's the heart, and then meekness is how that shows itself in our behavior. So meekness, sometimes when people think of, of meekness, they, they see it as a synonym for weakness, but that's not the case. On the contrary, it is the gentleness of the strong. Jesus was the, the, he was the incarnation of meekness. Oh, Jesus was strong. Of course he was. But yet he was gentle. He was, in the truest sense, he was meek. It is the quality of a strong personality who is nevertheless master of themselves and the servant of others. Meekness is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights. The absence of the disposition to assert personal rights. See, that's how divisions come, right? Amongst ourselves as a local body, those kinds of things can rise up when somebody is insisting on asserting their rights. Well, I don't like that, and I like it this way, and I don't want it to be that way, and I don't care what everybody else thinks, and I don't care that um, the majority feel differently. This is how I feel, and I want it like this, and I'm going to squawk and scream, and I'm going to tell other people how I feel. That's the opposite of what's being described here. We have to be careful about those things. So there's humility, then there's gentleness, but then he has another two that he couples together, long-suffering and mutual forbearance. So long-suffering, long-suffering means just what it sounds like it means. It means you put up with things that you don't like and you do it for a long time. (laughs) Long-suffering, patience. Now, the, the obvious picture here is that you're applying this to uh, an aggravating person. There are plenty of people, I don't need any patience with them whatsoever. I don't need to be long-suffering because they're so easy to get along with. And we agree on everything and we can work together and it's wonderful and it's great. But you know, you find as you go in life and as you're in ministry as I am and as you're a pastor of a church with a lot of people in it, not everybody is like that. And there are some people that are sometimes aggravating. And yet at the same time, you have to be patient. You can't just, as the, maybe the natural tendency would be just to dismiss uh, people like that. You have to, you have to be long suffering with them. You have to forbear. The word forbear could probably, or the, the idea there would probably be that of tolerance, a tolerance in the correct sense. We have a complete 
distortion of the definition of tolerance in our culture today. Uh, tolerance means putting up with something you don't agree with or like. It doesn't mean, as some would suggest today, if you're tolerant, it means you support what they do, you agree with what they do, you're to praise what they do. That's not tolerance. Tolerance is, I disagree, I don't like that, I don't think it's right, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put up with it. I'm going to live with it. I'm going to treat you kindly and nicely regardless of what I feel about that. So these are the things that he's talking about here. And without these things, there will be no unity. But if this is the mind that we have, this will lend to unity amongst us as God's people. But then he brings in one final thing, and that is love. And you see, love is the one that really encompasses everything else. Because, of course, if you truly love other people, you're going to act humbly toward them. If you truly love other people, you're going to be meek. If you truly love other people, you're going to be patient with them. If you truly love other people, you're going to tolerate things that you might not necessarily agree with them about it. But for the sake of love, you will do it because Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, that passage always gets me. It always convicts me. In a good way, it reminds me. Love covers a multitude of sins. That means that love, the tendency of love is to overlook things, not to take account of them. If I'm always making a list of people's faults and the way people bother me or offend me, whether it's a literal list or a mental list, If I'm doing that, then I'm not walking in love because love covers a multitude of sins. Love just overlooks it. Love says, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to let that get in the way of of what's happening here. I'm not going to let that get in the way of this relationship. Love covers a multitude of sins. You see, unity is like it's the visible manifestation of love. This is how we show people that we love each other. We don't, don't just talk about it. We, we don't just say, I love you. But we are living together in unity, dwelling together in unity. How good and how pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. And as we do that, this is a unique thing. You, you don't find this in the world. The world is it's just divided over and over and over and over and over again. And so this is one of the ways in which the the church is to be radically distinct from the world. The world is full of divisions. The church is to be a place where you find unity among people. And that comes through love. And every time the emphasis has been upon love in the history of the church, no matter what age it's been, that's when the church has been the most impactful. And so we are, the apostle then goes on to say, we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So there's a few things here that we need to consider. First of all, we are to endeavor. This is a strong word. It means that we are to be eager. We are to spare no effort. We are to make haste. The idea is that We take the initiative and we do all that we can.
For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.